Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Good morning, Jamie, and good morning, everyone. Uh, we've got so much ground to cover this morning. We are going to start today with the jobless numbers. We're going to let you hear from Jerome Powell. What is the Fed going to do with some of this information? What's happening? We are headed in a direction that is not good for the working force in America, but may be necessary for the overall economy in the long run. Uh, by raising interest rates, by slowing down the ability to borrow money for corporations and smaller, big companies, um, it, this is something that's done to try to bring down the demand for goods. So I want you to hear a few things first. <clears throat> Jerome Powell talking about the Fed and how they are uh, going to decide what's going to happen in the future. We'll get to the numbers on unemployment in just a moment, but I want you to hear from the Fed in this decision. In determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. So how far how far have we come and how long do we have to go in all of this? Inflation has moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. Nonetheless, inflation pressures continue to run high. And the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. So when he talks about the supply and demand, this is about labor, and this is where we're going to get to the numbers. The labor force participation rate has moved up in recent months, particularly for individuals aged 25 to 54 years. Nominal wage growth has shown some signs of easing, and job vacancies have declined so far this year. But overall, labor demand still substantially exceeds the supply of available workers. So this is good. This is what moves us <clears throat> into this very bad place. And what I mean by that is what we have had is increase in wages. We have seen this happening for a while, but it wasn't keeping up with inflation. But there were people who were making more money. There were jobs available if someone wanted to get a second or a third job to keep their heads above water financially. If you're a couple, you know how you work it out. You know how the dance works. One of you gets a second job where you both end up getting part-time jobs working opposite shifts to make sure you can still take care of the kids. Whatever it is to keep your heads above water. As those jobs begin to dry up, two things happen. Your ability to get one of those side hustles to keep your bills under control start to dry up, but also wages drop. It is it is no different in the labor market than it is anywhere else. It's supply and demand, and when something like this happens, when you see the uh, the supply drop, um, then you start seeing prices go down. And, and this is in this area is so important because where it used to be that people used to you could make your call your own shot, so to speak. You wanted to work from home. You find a company that will let you work from home. If your employer wanted you to come back into the office, you could say, I love working from home. I'm efficient at home. I'm not coming back to the office. I'll find someplace else to work. Those days may be numbered in some places, but it's about wages as well. You know, and the people that work for an hourly wage, like I did most of my life, when they don't have to pay you as much, they don't pay you as much. Just like you try to demand as much as you can, they're going to pay as little as they can. It doesn't make the other side of this equation evil. They pay what's necessary, just like you do. When the price of gas goes up, when the price of gas goes down, when the availability of the goods that you want go up and down, you're going to go wherever you can. If you're at a, you're at an intersection on one side of the street, there's a gas station that's got it for four eighty nine a gallon, and across the street, it's four eighty seven a gallon. You're going to pay two cents less. You're going to go where you pay less, and that's what's happening in the labor market. So right now. 
jobless claims. Um, U.S. expected to add just 182,000 jobs down from 236 this morning. The BLS reported uh, in the latest week the number of initial jobless claims jumped from 229,000 to 242,000, rising above the median estimate of 240,000, and the third consecutive month of initial claim prints above 200,000. So this is where inflation can be a killer, and this is where the criticism is still a valid and valuable criticism. This administration was warned by experts on both sides of the political aisle. This is where the political duck and cover has to stop. And you and I have talked about this before. Um, I don't I didn't want to be right about stuff. I'm not someone that believes that we have to see the failure of an administration to replace that administration. And that's good for America. If the if this administration's policies fail, the American people fail. And whether you liked it or not, in the previous administration, economically, we were in a much better place than we are right now. Even with covid, we are in a better place then than we are now. Gas prices were below three bucks a gallon for the entire four years of the Trump presidency under three dollars per gallon. And you can go back and look at how the prices went week to week throughout that entire presidency, including pre-COVID when we were racing with the economy, very low unemployment, and we had no inflation. When this president took office, Almost from the week he took office, long before Russia and Ukraine and all of these other things, because of policies, in my opinion, what kicked this inflationary growth off was the attack on the fossil fuel industry. Some people call it necessary. There are people that believe that it's the only thing that's going to save the planet. That's fine. If you believe it was the right thing to do, you still have to acknowledge that it happened. And so we got onto this path, and then it was a supply chain issue, and those never stopped. And it seemed as if this administration was responding far too late. Weeks before the supply chain issue became critical, I was hearing from the experts that I knew. We've had them on the air before. Kristen Bentz and others that are experts in this area were saying, you know, when China shut down the largest seaport in the entire world, for I was at six or eight weeks because of COVID. Uh, we were told then this is going to be a supply chain nightmare for part of the world. And what's interesting is companies that would use the seas to ship their goods began to buy and lease airplanes. FedEx, UPS, other companies would you were using Amazon, using airplanes as opposed to sea travel, realizing that this port shutting down was going to cause major issues eventually. So they saw it coming and they responded because in business, that's the way you have to do things. And now the government did not. If you remember, the president finally, after these ships were all backed up out at the L.A. port, the president gave a speech and said, we're going to keep this open 24-7 and solve this problem. So there seemed to have been a slow response from this administration. When it came to inflation, they called it transitory. They called it transitory for a very long time, even when their own economic advisors on that side of the aisle were warning that this was not going to be transitory, that this was going to be a very, very serious issue. So this was a very 
this was a time where we needed action then. It's like curing a disease like cancer. The earlier you catch it, the earlier you intervene, the less severe and invasive you have to be. Well, we're in a place now where they've been raising interest rates and raising interest rates, and they're seeing a bit of slowing. But even Jerome Powell is saying this is we got a long way to go here. We have seen some moderation in inflation, but now we have a long way to go. This is where people have got to hold uh, the administration accountable. If you agree it was necessary, then vote your conscience and and keep people of this mindset in power. But if you believe that these economic decisions are causing strife in the American economy, then what we have to do is we have to figure out a way to go in a different direction. It just makes sense. What we're going to do coming up here in just a few moments, we're going to talk about the National Day of Prayer. Is this something necessary? Some say it's illegal, but we'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We still give you an opportunity to get the hottest ticket in town. We've got Suns playoff tickets as they take on the Denver Nuggets. If you'd like to have your hear your name called, possibly to register for those tickets, text the word TICKET to 411-923 and listen for your name. We do it in the 7 a.m. hour, the 11 a.m. hour, and the, and the 4 p.m. hour on uh, on the different shows. Just text TICKET to 411-923. All right, so I appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to pause for a moment to talk about the National Day of Prayer. It's a little controversial, which I find odd. Um, when you look at the First Amendment to the Constitution, the First Amendment to the Constitution is very clear. I just want to read this out loud, and then we'll talk about why this is a controversial topic. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. They were very clear in saying that the government will not endorse one religion over another, but the government will never be able to infringe upon a person's right to exercise the freedom of their religious beliefs or to not have beliefs. We make room for atheism in this country and the people that do not believe. But why is it important? The history of the National Day of Prayer going back to 1952, it wasn't signed in uh, into law until 1987 or 88, I believe Reagan signed it into law, and And it is setting aside a day, first Thursday in May, where we set aside that day as a day of prayer. What's fascinating to me about this is um, people that know me, uh, I'm not someone, I'm not very churchy, um, but no one is ever going to shake my faith, I don't believe. And and it was times in my life where I had to lean on my faith that really – you talk about having faith until you need to lean on it, and then it, it, it changes for you. You know, when you go through a very difficult time or a tragic time and you pray and a prayer is answered, it becomes alive and real to you, and that's exactly what happened to me. But what's fascinating is how we pray. It, 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 to me, it's interesting. If you read what Washington prayed for, the, the great uh, picture that's uh, – the, the portrait that is in the Capitol building of him at Valley Forge kneeling in the snow and what they prayed for. Um, he prayed to be changed. He prayed to be uh, useful. Um, uh, Lincoln prayed for the Civil War to end but said if it's going to continue – and I'm paraphrasing. I'm not quoting. If the war – if it's God's will that the war continue, let us do our jobs and let us do the right thing with the things that we have to do and let us pray for the people that will lose their lives. 
And so it, it makes me think, because initially when you say, if I were to say to you right now, today's a national day of prayer. If you're someone of faith, pray for the country. We would pray that other people be changed. I, I think that's something that's inherent to us is that and if you're not someone that is very faithful, but you still believe in God, some, I want you to think about what we what you would pray for. It's strange what we do in this country. We pray that the other side be changed. We have we think we're right. And that everybody else needs to change. That seems to be the the way we do things. But wouldn't it be interesting if we did it, if what we asked for was that we were, we asked to be changed ourselves. That whatever it is God wants from us, that we, we're, we're able and willing to do it. Uh, the Apostle Paul prayed to be usable. Um, Talking about being content in any circumstance sounds like a great thing to say, and he said it, but he said it from a hole in the ground as a prisoner. Um, and so I don't want to turn this into a sermon, but it is interesting that in this country we have gotten to a place where it has become so controversial that there, when you go online and you search out the National Day of Prayer, it gives you options of other things to follow. One is when did it start? What's the history of it? One of the choices, is it constitutional? And if you read about it, some people say it's absolutely unconstitutional. And we go down that road and have that argument. This was a bipartisan effort. It was both Republicans and Democrats that pushed this through that we would set aside a day of prayer. That doesn't mean we're forcing. No one is forced to pray. But being a nation that is theistic, we believe in a creator we're not an atheistic nation like China or Russia. We're a theistic nation, but we're certainly not a theocracy like Iran that uses a religious book and the Ayatollahs are the supreme leaders of that country. But we have always acknowledged and believed in a creator. All of our founding documents acknowledge that. And I hear from people that say, you know, leaders in our country were deists, and they may have been. It may have been that whole thing might have happened. But one of the things that our founding fathers did was set aside – the belief that you can tell the people what to believe and how to believe. That was set aside. But they always recognized the freedom to believe and worship any way you see fit. So we set aside a national day of prayer. Reagan signs it into law, and it's it's there. Pre- presidents have been – Reagan prayed. Um, presidents speak at the national prayer breakfast every year, or most of them do. And from George Washington through – our current president, presidents have talked about prayer. You have a right in this country. But I'm, I really – the investigation for me is more about what we pray for and how we do. And I, I really didn't want this to be anything like a sermon, and I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I'm, I'm really compelled by this. You're sitting in your car, and you're driving to wherever you're going, or maybe you're at your office, or you work from home, and you think, yeah, it is the National Day of Prayer. Maybe we should pray for our country. Maybe that's exactly what our country needs. Would you pray that you be the citizen you should be? That you would vote your conscience and vote the way is best for America? Or are we going to vote that our neighbors are changed? Are you, are you, I mean, are we going to pray that our neighbors are changed? Are we going to pray that the guy in the car next to us learns to drive a little better and becomes a better citizen? Are we going to pray that the opposition to whatever we want, are we going to pray that they change? And I just think it's interesting. Um, 
I, I try to be – I mean we're going to all pass judgment. I mean it's part of what I do is give my opinion about good and bad and what's going on. But in the end, I've got so much in my own backyard to clean up. I have no business telling you how to clean up yours. And those are the things that when I think about praying for the country, I want to be better at what I'm supposed to be doing. And I wonder how how many of us would make a difference if that's what we did. A headline today says National Day of Prayer. Our country needs prayer now as much as it, at any other time of, an, of a national crisis. And that may be true. But is it also true that it's because we've kind of let things slide? You know, you talk about people of faith. Churches aren't attended as well anymore. Uh, people seem to be losing their faith. Whose fault is that? Could it be the people that are prayerful, that we are not doing enough in the communities around us, that we are not active enough in showing people what it means to be a person of faith. I just wonder if that's true. I didn't want to turn this into a sermon. I hope it didn't come across that way. But the National Day of Prayer is one set aside that if you're a person of faith, we should be doing it every day. But just like Memorial Day, we set a one specific day aside to remember those that have given their life for this country. So this is a day we set aside for this. What will you do with it? For many people, not going to do anything with it. That's fine. But for the people that are compelled, what will you do with this day? I just think it's interesting. I think it's a fascinating study of what we would pray for because of what we believe will make this country what it needs to be. It's just a fascinating study to me. Coming up in a moment, Zinsmeister is going to join me. We're going to do the um, Gatos uh, Big Q poll question of the day. It's coming up here in just a moment. The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. I got to tell you, it's been a great week because we haven't had to talk to Gatos all week long. And Zinsmeister is back for the Big Q Poll Question. Welcome back. Steve. Yeah, and he doesn't grace you with his presence ever. Well, he's like usually I not do. awake. He's usually still laying in bed when he talks to me. He's wow. still asleep. Sometimes I think he's still asleep at 2 o'clock. It's the Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. So I saw, Mike, in Texas, there's a proposed bill that would require the Ten Commandments to be posted on all public classrooms around the state. Okay. This is a good idea or bad idea? I don't know. I I don't know. I, I mean, again... It's tough because it sounds like then you are endorsing one religion over another. It's exactly what it is. But that being said, if you go to the House of Representatives and the House Chamber, uh, where our government does its business, in the center of that room is a full-face portrait of Moses who brought the Ten Commandments, and that is in the House Chamber as well. So I don't know that bringing faith into a classroom is not a bad idea, but we're going to have a fight over something we shouldn't have to fight about. That's the part to me that's a problem. There's no doubt. I totally acknowledge that our country was built on a lot of Christian principles. But this is a different time, a different age, and honestly, this was brought by a Republican lawmaker who has a huge issue with indoctrination in the classroom. I don't see how this is all that different. This is pushing one religion over another. You might have a a Hindu student or a Buddhist student. I just don't like the idea. Okay, so then does it force them to participate, or is it an acknowledgement of our history? I would say you could make the same argument for, like, they, they claim indoctrination happens with sexual content or ideology. 
just because you teach it, does that mean that you have to participate? It's the same question, I think. And if they if they want parental rights for a lot of other stuff, maybe this should include parental rights as well. Okay, and, and it's a fair argument. It's a, we understand that we have come a long way in the 1950s in, in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, in the 1950s. You had to be able to write a dissertation on the Gospel of John to graduate from Dallas high schools. But you're right, it's a different era. Running at 52% say it's a bad idea. It's almost a split. On the vote at KTAR.com right now. Exactly. It's one of those questions. It's a great one. Awesome. Appreciate it as always. That's Zinsmeister in for Gatos, the Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. We'll talk about the border coming up in just a moment.